I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, everyone. Welcome to Hard Yards in Leadership. I've got to say, as our podcast series evolves, I've always wanted to bring more different stories to you, and that means interviewing guests with a variety of different backgrounds and experiences. And today's guest, Mike Williamson, what a fascinating career he's had. He started in management consulting um, back in London, helping retailers across Europe make even bigger profits. He went from there to the education sector, where he rose to become a senior leader in the schooling system, and then he morphed his career to the not-for-profit sector, where he went on to hold some senior leadership roles with some organisations such as Bicycle Network Victoria, Brotherhood of St Lawrence, and then the Smith family. He shares fascinating insights on his roles and the process of transitioning via such different sectors, and of course, we'll be delving into his hard yards throughout his journey. Some of the stories that I'll be asking him to share are, in in one instance, how it all went wrong when he chose to go confrontational with a non-performing team member, and he realised he should have actually been in checking in on that person, understanding some of what was going on in their lives, and we've all had that problem that, that we've realised sometimes, that we just get it wrong. I'll be asking him to share about the time that he personally felt really overwhelmed and his bandwidth was really low, how he dealt with that and how he kind of clawed his way back through that? What happened when he inherited a team that had been mentally scarred by a micromanaging and scary leader that had really quite kind of dented the confidence and and the ability of that team to perform? And finally, which is an interesting one for me as as an executive coach myself, um, the importance of how you best coach your staff and how to introduce a coaching culture into the workplace, um, which Mike has very successfully done, um, particularly in the latter part of his career. I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know Mike and hearing about his fascinating and diverse journey. And with that, let me say welcome, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Really great. Great to be with you. So, Mike, you've had a fascinating career and and, and had a huge amount of experience. For our listeners, let's let's take you back to the early early days of your career. and, And in particular, I'm really interested in when you first had a role that had leadership responsibility. Can you remember when that was first thrust upon you? Yeah, it, it certainly was thrust. You know, I was working in educational leadership back in the UK and um, leading a team of about 12 people. And um, yeah, I, I, I felt that I I didn't really have the experience to do. I didn't have the experience. I, I didn't have the training either. So you are, you know, it's kind of lands on your lap and you got to go and run with that. So remember it very well. What were the first words that came into your mind when, when you realised, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm now a leader? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think um, I, I kind of know myself quite well and I think even then I did and it was about wanting to get outcomes, wanting to get results and, you know, that, that was certainly front of mind had a, a, a good, a really good team of people, but certainly quite, quite a, a variance in that team as well, as is often the way, you know, but it's a, a disparate group of 11 or 12 people that you're working with. Yeah, I remember it very well. 
That's a, that's a lot of people to have in your first leadership role. Mike, were you one of those people who were you kind of like an academic learner about leadership or did you have a great mentor or did mm. you just kind of work it out as you went? Mm. I was really lucky, Wayne, to have, to have both. In that particular educational environment, I had a, a mentor who was the, the head teacher or over in Oz, it would be, you know, a principal. And he, he brought in a course for new and emerging leaders, probably about it, about two years after I'd taken on the first leadership role. And he, he, he had a partnership with a local uni. And, you know, we, we had a, a course that ran for about 20 weeks that was drawing on academic stuff, you know, research. And, and I still remember one of the, one of the seminal books for me was Daniel Goleman, the emotional intelligence guru. And he had a book about, about leadership and about the different styles that you need. But really lucky to, to work with someone, to be mentored by someone. I think that that's, that's a gap, you know, for a lot of people to have someone in their world who knows what it's like and can mentor and advise. And I guess we have different guests on the show that have different backgrounds. And, you know, your early phase of your career, you were in, you were in education. So I guess you'd learnt to be an educator, but learning to be an educator doesn't necessarily make you a leader. It's obviously something that in your instance you had a mentor you had a program you had, had everything else but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to go perfect so true to the title of hard yards in leadership mm. my next question is do you recall the first time something came your way that really kind of rocked your boat it was like oh my gosh how am I going to deal with this one yeah it's a, it's a good one why not there's quite a long list so I will just rewinding the the video of my career in my head, I think, so I had someone in that team, that, that team of 11, who I think it's 11 rather than 12, because I like the thought of 11, because that's a football soccer 11. <laughs> so somebody in that team who was normally pretty good in her role, in fact, she was very good, and she was not turning up to meetings if she did sleep late, wasn't getting things in, wasn't doing the role. I remember it really clearly because I, I, I went to her and I, went, I, I don't think I was confrontational, but I did confront the, those behaviours. I said, you know, what, it's, it's not good enough. What's going on? And, you know, she looked at me and she said, my mother's really ill. And I, I felt terrible. It was devastating because, not, not only because her mother's really ill, but also because I've, I've stuffed up, you know. It, it, mm. And so massive learning from that. And I think that's where leaders, young leaders need some tools around reflective practice and, and, and some frameworks on how to think about what you're doing. I mean, the, the learnings from that were super obvious. And I, all I needed to have done was said, is everything okay? As it is from there, we, we developed a great professional relationship for a number of years. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? And so often as leaders, you know, and it's, this is not just new leaders, you know, we see an issue and we seek to deal with the issue, but we lose sight of the 360 degrees of the person with whom the issue is is concerned. And I guess your your story reminds us that we have to connect with the person and seek to understand what's going on in their world before we just jump in and deal with the issue, don't we? Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we all bring ourselves, our whole selves to work. And I, I think COVID's taught us that, you know, that there's, as a leader, as a people leader, you've got people in your team and they've, they've got these parts of their lives and, and there's, everyone's got challenges and, you know, external factors that can really reduce your bandwidth once you're in, you know, at your work seat. So definitely, you know, and I think being people-centred 
that's always been for me at the heart of managing people and, and building building really good team. You've got to be people centered. You've also got to be results. Uh, you've got to be looking to to drive results as well. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a whole area, isn't it? How you develop your team. Yeah. And you said there were a, a number of incidents from that early stage of your career. You want to share another one? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I made me list them, Wayne, there. Um, <laughs> look, a, a bit later on in, in my career, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd inherited a team that, uh, and I was really excited about moving into the role. And the team that I inherited was, well, I, I, I got there and, and they were very quiet. They were scared to do the wrong thing. And, and it was it, the, the previous leadership of that group was, you know, I found out later on was, you know, kind of on the scut. It was autocratic, micromanager. And so that, that was really hard because th- these people had, had been told what to do for quite a long time. I, you know, I kind of was wondering, well, how, wonder why you stuck that out, you know, for that time. But uh, so you come in and you've got that kind of, I guess it's almost that archaeology, that that history of the team, and trying to find out what what happened before. So yeah, that that was challenging early on, you know. And you're coming in to get a job done and to work with these people, but it was, yeah, it was really really difficult. So take us through it, Mike. What did you do? How did you work through that? Because that's not a you know a one little email and everything's fixed sort of situation, is it? No, no, not at all. What was great, Wayne, was that I. I'd come in with a, I suppose, a mindset of that that people-centered approach, and in a way, given given what had been going on before, I was I was on a pretty good wicket, really. I, I you know, but um, I had to be quite intentional about building relationships, and I think I think for me, the absolute key one is trust, and building trust with people. It's okay to say the wrong thing. It's okay to fail. We don't want to be failing on everything all the time, but you know, from mistakes come come learning. So I really worked at how we how we worked in a group in meetings. I introduced a, a mindset of shared leadership. It wasn't top down. And I think the, the term nowadays that, that is around a lot is is that one about psychological safety. People have to feel psychologically safe. I'm I'm not sure I know exactly what I did, but I, I know that it was about being people centered building that trust. And actually, for me, Wayne, I think leadership is about, fundamentally, if you're leading a team, you've got to get results. And that's one thing. But alongside that, you've also got to help those people develop. And that, that's, uh, for me as a leader, that's non-negotiable. That's what you need to do. You need to do both of those. So, Mike, that's a fascinating uh, situation you were in. And my understanding is that that situation was when you were in the not-for-profit sector. Is that correct? So by that stage, you transitioned across from being in education leadership to the not-for-profit sector. Yeah, that's right, Wayne. And they're quite different. Certainly in that that example I gave with inheriting that team. Yeah, it was. that's in a, an organisation um, in Australia in a not-for-profit setting. So... Let's unpack that a little bit just for the listeners to help them understand your journey. What happened in your life that made you decide to step away from leading in education to, because it's a very big step, isn't it, to, to jumping across and, and becoming a leader in the not, not-for-profit sector? Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I remember it very well back in the educational sector in Australia by this time. And 
running programs in in a high school setting and then starting to to engage with other schools around how do you address bullying and harassment amongst student cohorts what programs can you run and 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 actually drew in um working with some young school leaders well actually it was like a mini conference drawing in reps from other other schools and and i think at that time it was very much the the kind of e-bullying that was front of mind for a lot of people. So that was a realisation for me that, you know, you can have a great, amazing impact as a teacher, as an educational leader, but I was looking more broadly and, and how I could take my skills and have a, a greater impact, you know, across a sector. And how hard was it to make that transition? Because I'm conscious that, you know, a lot of our listeners, Micah, are people who they might be in business now and have a desire to transition to something quite different, be it to not not for profit, yeah. to start up their own business, to become a consultant, whatever it might be. But people often kind of sit at the edge of, of that bridge, fearful of, am I going to be able to make that transition? And the transition that you made is is really quite quite substantial. Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I've been asked that a number of times in my coaching world and Look, I think for me, it was, <laughs> I'd survived in working in education without needing to do any Excel for a long time. And I had to get up the Excel learning curve pretty quickly. But that's okay. I just got good enough. I think, though, this, this one is about, it's very much about transferable skills. And I think what I've learned is that particularly people in education, you know, hats off to all teachers and all people working in education, particularly in the public sector, and they're doing it tough. They have an enormous skill set, and, and it's transferable to leading in, in other areas. And, and equally, people moving across from corporate, you know, that, that they bring with them a, a, a set of skills. I think one of the challenges in the not-for-profit sector is it is, compared to, you know, corporate world, it is resource poor. And so you've got less time, you've got less people to do the things that you need to do. But the, the reward is is fantastic. You know, it's about aligning your values with the work that you do every day. And that ability to align the values with the work you do every day gets to, you know, what we often talk talk about is, you know, people finding their why, you know, as Simon Sinek would say, or connecting with purpose. And and I guess folks who make a career or devote a substantial proportion of their career as you did to working in the not, not-for-profit sector, you would be I guess that tapping into that why or that deeper purpose is relatively easy. But is it something that you saw consistently with people in the not-for-profit sector that they are usually there with some deeper connection that's driving that choice? Yeah, I think so. And that's that's a commonality across the organisations I've worked in. Not not everybody. Some people come along and maybe dip their toe in the sector and then go back to another one. But I think, yeah, certainly... People are attracted to purpose. And if you're in an organisation where the mission is really clear, I think the other aspect of it is not to say there aren't strong values in other sectors, but mission plus values. If you're aligned with that, I think um, it's Daniel Pink, isn't it? He wrote about engagement and motivation. And it's, you know, I think um, mastery, autonomy and purpose. And if you've got those three you don't worry about jumping out of bed on a Monday morning. It just happens, you know. So, yeah, I, I think lots of people are really engaged by that, that aspect, that purpose of what you're doing. And 
if you've got a, a, a manager or a leader who can help you see what, what you do every day and how your role actually aligns with that overall organisational purpose, absolutely fantastic. You know, that's happy days. You, you're really, you, you're going you're to have a high-performing person. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership, where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. I hope every leader who hears these stories recognises that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It'll help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. So Mike, going back into your into your leadership time in, in not-for-profit, um, you talked about uh, one particular example of, of a challenging time. My guess is you've probably got some others to share with us. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that those other examples were, were really about team and, and leading people, but I think a really critical part of, of being an effective leader is is self-management as well. And, um, you know, we, we, we've been talking about in the for-purpose, not-for-profit sector, you're often reasonably resource poor. And I had uh, a couple of years ago now in a, an organisation where it was uh, lots of growth, injections of funds from government, new programmes, new people and um i'm very happy to share i had a period of you know, I, it was overwhelmed and um my bandwidth was was really low and you know that that not only affects your your work situation but it, you know work and i often say you know you're a third of your life at work a third of your life at home and the other third obviously hopefully you're asleep so it does impact and you know i had a colleague at that organization who was a bit of a learning and development guru and I had a chat with her and she talked about, you know, if you want to make significant change to something, focus on the behaviours. But if you want to make transformational shifts, really look at your mindset. And I, I kind of went away and had a <laughs> a good chat with myself, you know, had a good look and, and decided to just shift my mindset into and really focus on the growth mindset. And um, if you've got a lot to fit in. Maybe some of those you don't you don't have to aim for good enough and don't let perfect get in the way of that. The other element there that came into my world, and I've been kind of toying with it ever since I I, I had some mentoring in educational management back in the UK, and it's coaching, and and really building that that coaching approach and and strengthening your coaching muscles so that actually if you've got a team of eight people, that's quite a lot. I think they say six or seven, don't they? You know, five or six is the sweet spot. But develop those people, help build. And, and some of those people, are, they're just crying out for a stretch task here and there. You know, so it, it, in that sense, it, it's a win-win. So, yeah, I, I think that, that that's a, a strong memory for me is actually taking that mindset shift and, and bringing coaching in and strengthening that part of my leadership. It's an extraordinary strong message that that person shared with you. I think as leaders, we often think, I want my people to do these things. And of course, they describe these things as behaviours. So we jam people into training rooms and we teach them to do these things. So we give them a whole series of behaviours and then they come out of the training room. We look around and go, doesn't seem to be happening. What mm. didn't happen in the training room? And I think 
the story that you share is a great reminder to us that unless you create a mindset shift, you're just trying to sticky tape new behaviors that aren't congruent to the mindset of someone who walks into the training room. So unless the, unless the, you embark on something that is bigger than just putting people into the training room, embark on some form of transformational journey that allows people to address that mindset shift, then the behavioral change isn't likely to last more than 10 minutes after they walk out of the training room. Is that the experience that you've seen as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I often say if I'm running some, um, some learning and development, you know, let's say it's on how to get better at, say, giving and receiving feedback, then it's great. You know, you're in the training room, you're learning, but what, what changes on Monday morning when you're back in the workplace as a leader, when you're running your next team meeting, what, what changes? You know, there's a fantastic proverb from Papua New Guinea that says knowledge is only a rumour until it's in the muscle. And so I've, I've often used that as a, a, a bit of a, um, you know, a key message. Yeah, it's behaviour change. It's, and I think, I think coaching, again, has a, you know, a wonderful role to play in that. Support and challenge, you know, uh, in, in whatever measure you need at any particular moment. Just staying in that space for a minute, Mike, I think, you know, when you talk about the recognition that you had and the, and the I guess, change in mindset that you took on, while you were in that leadership role to say, you know, I want to become effectively, I want to use the coaching of my people and the developing of my people as kind of a, a core part of how I'm going to seek to lead these folks. It's an interesting one. I'm sure many, many leaders and founders and others who are listening to the show will kind of be grappling with that as they hear this because it's kind of like, you know, but aren't we supposed to be chasing results and telling people what to do and all those sorts of things? But ultimately, one of the greatest challenges as we confront a period of time where so many employees are fundamentally disengaged at work, one of the greatest challenges, I think, or opportunities is to help them be engaged in the first place, help them see going to work as something that is that is bigger than just going and churning out a bunch of tasks and actually having folks realize that their manager is deeply in invested in them and their career and their development can really catalyze that whole process. Is that is that kind of how you see it too? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, lo I love that phrase you use there about it being invested in the, the, the people, in one's people and having a really strong interest in their career and how their career develops. And I, I think, uh, you know, if you can individualise your approach there, some people don't want to move up into more senior roles. They want to develop particular skills in their current role. Yeah, I, th I think if as a leader you, you forget that part of your role and, and it's, it's about talent management and it's about also about future planning. I left a role in the full-purpose sector last year and I'd like to think, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know, but... I could walk away because I've done a lot of work on developing the people in that scene and, and the, that kind of shared leadership and sustainability. So there's a number of reasons for prioritising that, that part of a leadership role. And, and a lot of it makes very, very good organisational and business sense. So again, you know, broken record, squeaky wheel here about the coaching. Now, if you can empower your people 
to by by coaching and actually empower them to become great coaches themselves. You generate a whole, I think, a, a groundswell of development and growth and positivity. And it's not obviously it's not the only thing, but I think it's a really really important part of the jigsaw. So Mike, that's really interesting talking about this concept of a coaching culture. But you know, for those for listeners who are thinking, okay, that sounds interesting, but you know, how do I do that? Because I guess introducing a coaching culture is more than just telling all the managers to book a session of coaching with each of their direct reports once a quarter, isn't it? What what else do you see is involved in actually making that cultural transformation? Yeah, absolutely agree with you, Wayne. It's more than that, just that coaching session. I think a coaching culture, the first thing I'd say is I think it's got to be supported at the very top level of leadership. You've got to have an executive buy-in to bringing in a coaching culture and understanding, communicating why you're doing that, what's going to be the return on investment to doing that. But I think it's it's not about coaching sessions. It's about a coaching style. And I think a coaching style, but I'll try and explain it by an example, being in a team meeting once and and realizing I'm absolutely not either the, the brightest or most important person in the room. You know, the wisdom is in the room and a coaching approach tends to elicit ideas that the leader doesn't even have. You know, some, sometimes the best ideas are with the team. So coaching yeah. is about asking the right questions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think probably especially when leaders are under pressure, they, they fall into tell mode so often. Mm. You know, coaches, you and I both, trained as as executive coaches we, we know one of the main things that that happens when you go through that training is you're taught to become a very attentive listener and and you know hold your own thoughts and and elicit the thoughts of that of others and i think you know when you get back to kind of what's the mindset that sits behind that i think you know for me the mindset is curiosity it's kind of like i if i'm sitting down to have a conversation with someone and i'm going to operate as a coach you know the one word that i want to remember is is that i want to be curious because when I'm curious, I want to hear what that person says. And when they tell half a story, I kind of want to hear the other half of the story. And I think just sort of tying back some of the messages that you shared with us today, sort of get, getting the mindset right is critical to making that that shift. And for me, if you can find in your headspace that sense of for the next hour, I'm just going to be curious you know, it sets you up and not every manager who wants to operate as a coach actually gets to go off and do an executive coaching course. And I don't think they have to. I think they just have to find that different gear. What What are your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and I think in coaching and, and in leadership, I think sometimes it's about, it's not about what you're learning to do or new habits. It's about what you're stopping doing. And that's where that deep listening comes in. Never going to claim I always get that right or did get that right, but I think it's about intent. And I, I love what you're saying there about the curiosity because quite often, you know, the way forward or the solutions or the answers are there in the group. And I think a leader who is a coach, and there's plenty of leader as coach programs out there, it helps the leader to listen even more strongly and it also helps to empower the team. But I think. I've always been a great believer as well, Wayne, in um, a, a situational approach to leadership. Sometimes it's not the best thing to be coaching. Sometimes you've got to take on other styles, put on a different type of leadership hat. Sometimes you've got to be a mentor or a guide rather than a pure coach. 
But I think that might you're right that that's the mindset behind that and a belief in the people that are there and actually seeing those people as the whole human rather than just someone who's going to go and get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike, I'm I'm really interested because you know you you were in a substantial organisation and driving this kind of people centric sort of coaching style as as a key element of your leadership. How did you see the organisation benefit from that? And I think it's that's a really important question for people to hear hear the answer to because often people go, yeah, that sounds nice, but does it actually work in the real world? And I'm fascinated to hear your your perspective on that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. There's work that's been done on the return on investment of uh, you know funding a coaching program in organisations, and that's out there. You can go and grab that. But I think a couple of things. One is that I leaders who start to coach and coach well, I would argue this to a cows come home. You know, you get a better culture, you get a better team climate is probably a better word. That's really important in uh, I think in the world at the moment, in 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 the workplace to drive engagement and retention. And actually back in the recruitment and, and you know attracting people to the organization. I think the other part of this is that leaders get the opportunity when they're coaching well to lift their head a bit more often and take that more strategic piece of their work. And I'm, I'm a great believer in the, the concept of, you know, the best leaders are tend to be bifocals. They can go down into the detail, but they're very good also at looking up to the horizon. So I think it, I think the coaching piece enables that. You know, m- maybe the third one I say is that it can be a bit bittersweet because when you're coaching and you're helping your people develop, sometimes they move on more quickly into another role in another organisation. But, hey, you know, that's part of the job. Yeah. I'm so pleased you raised that. I've, I've always, in, in, in my leadership time, I always had a view that if I developed someone successfully and it meant they moved out of the organisation and went on to bigger and better things for their journey, and that was something to be celebrated because I knew that for the period of time they were they were with us, they were doing great things. And, you know, ultimately in, in this world of kind of business and whatever else, seeing people develop and go out and spread their wings is is it's one of the most um, enriching experiences you can have. And of course the alternative is you don't develop people and then they either leave because they're not getting developed or they stay and are miserable. And those people don't generally do a great job, do they? <laughs> no, put it like that. No, not at all. I agree with you. Absolutely. So, Mike, I'm going to jump forward to, to kind of more recent times and, and we often kind of think to the, to the COVID era and the difficulties that that threw at us. How was that period for you and are there any stories that you'd be happy to share? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the role I was in at the time was working in an off-profit, working with with national teams who'd been on Zoom and Teams and video prior to COVID. So in, in that sense, kind of uh, fortuitous, uh, the systems and processes were already set up. But I think for me, Wayne, what, what surfaced in, in, in COVID, and you, you hear it lots now when you talk to people, you know, when I'm coaching or talking to other organisations, is the word wellbeing. And I think it was... Not many benefits to the pandemic, but I think one of them is that that surfaced as a key need within teams and, and in, in leadership. And actually, that, that it's not an add-on 
it's absolutely inextricably linked to performance and to the effectiveness effectiveness of how teams are going. So I, th- I think the challenge in all of that, the one about well-being, and I, and I think the, the best teams do always have fun, never at anyone's expense, uh, has to be said. But, you know, the, 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 there's a really important part of the jigsaw around team effectiveness and performance, the role of fun. But I think the well-being one was challenging in that, you know, you're on the team meeting, you know, during COVID and there, there's an activity or an icebreaker. And for some people, that's not fun and it's not helping their well-being. So bringing the attention in, in the workplace to, well, what, what is what is well-being for you? And that, that's been a benefit. And I think we need to just keep going. We need to keep running with that and working out what that really means. But the idea of a four-day week is pretty fascinating if you look at what's happening in some parts of the world. Isn't it? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. And as listeners would know, we tend to, toward the end of the program, I have a little kind of sign-out question, and this is just for fun. So what I'm going to do now is, theoretically, I'm going to give you a bucket of paint and a paintbrush, and you're at your workplace, you look up, there's a there's a, a bit of wall that, that's in front of you. What are the few words that you would write on that wall in paint that you would like to be able to look up and see whenever it's time to to look up from your desk? Well, that's that's a really great question. I think if it was in a workplace where the you know where we're physically together with people that I'm leading, the team is if I can if I can have that caveat, please, Wayne. Of course, <laughs> I'd like to see uh, two words. I would say listen and empowers. And as I've said those two words, I'd like to add on another one or a phrase, which is. We are all leaders, you know, because I think for me that's um, it's fundamental. You know, you got to you got to create that sense of shared leadership. It's not nice. It's not about top down. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I, I could just actually get the white paint out and put that, just put cover that, and and just put the word believe because I'm a big top lasso fan. Yeah, it's a gorgeous word, isn't it? Yeah. And a powerful one too. And Mike, um, if people want to hear kind of a bit more about what you're doing now, how can they learn about uh, you and your your current endeavours? Definitely. I During COVID, the other thing that I did was formalise my coaching with a qualification. I'm just completing another one now, which is about organisational, you know, culture of, of coaching. And I've my, my consultancy work, Level 6 coaching, is... I've been in a bit of work recently on helping organisations, individuals, teams, and actually the whole of organisation to get better at giving and receiving feedback. And it's a really fascinating one. And the thing that keeps popping up, Wayne, for me is people go, okay, I get that, I can do that. As a leader, if you receive feedback, if you do nothing else, because they say, well, I can't remember where I read this, Wayne, but you know, when you, when you receive feedback, you can either think of it as a gift or a colonoscopy, and the choice is yours, right? So as a leader, if someone gives you feedback and you've invited that, just say thank you yeah. and nothing else. Yeah. Unless you want to maybe say, oh, look, I'll, I'll go away and have a think about that, but thank you for the feedback. You've got to, you've got to create that psychological safety in that, in that regard. Yeah, so carrying on with some individual leadership coaching, leadership development coaching one-on-one, and also working with organisations, particularly in the for-purpose sector, around 
yeah, teams, how do you build trust? How do you enhance dynamics? And particularly that one around giving and receiving feedback is is really important. And, and, you know, I feel really passionate about the impact in the short, medium and long term that great leaders can have. You know, you're, you're, you're planting trees under whose shade you won't sit, but it's it's about the long term. Nice. Mike, it's been an absolute delight having you on. I've loved uh, hearing your stories and hearing about your journey, uh, your hard yards in leadership. Um, thank you so much for being a guest. Oh, look, it's been my pleasure, Wayne, and thanks for inviting me on. I've, uh, it's been great to, to chat this morning. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn. You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do, and keep believing in yourself as a leader.